Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. It has been almost 44 years since Shah Reza Pahlavi and his regime were toppled in Iran, after which the Islamic Republic was established. Time enough for two generations of disillusioned youth to grow up and express their protests against a corrupt, incompetent and cruel dictatorship. Except for those governments supporting Russia's war in Ukraine, the world is shocked by the brutal treatment of dissidents, including teenagers, both male and female. The question, however, is whether the current wave of resistance can blossom into a concrete threat to the viability of the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei's hold on power through his millions of thugs in various organizations. To analyze it, we're joined from Washington, D.C. by Jason Brodsky, who is the policy director at United Against Nuclear Iran. Thank you for joining us, Jason. Thank you. Also joining us from central Israel is Dr. Menachem Elchavi, who is a research fellow at the Truman Institute at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. And with me here in the studio, as usual, our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding of the current state of play vis-a-vis those protests, riots, whatever you want to call them, in Iran currently. And uh, obviously, many start to call this already a revolution, uh, even though we need to see some of uh, this materialize into a more concrete fashion at this stage. Well, a revolt or a rebellion um, or some uh, other moderate term would be more appropriate than a revolution, um, at least uh, for now. And let's cut to the chase, shall we? Um, there are at least two ingredients missing here when you compare it uh, to 1978-79. Uh, um, first of all, what we now uh, know as the Khomeini revolution did not start as such. The, uh, the masses protesting against the Shah um, and his entourage uh, did not necessarily anticipate that it will end with the Ayatollahs taking power. But what happened at that time was that uh, the military uh, refused to obey orders to fire at the protesters and gradually moved over to their side. And then the Islamists uh, took over. But at that time, you had Khomeini as a figure around whom um, protesters could coalesce. Um, And uh, right now, there is no such figure. There is no Iranian Lech Valenza. Uh, There was a time when people, including uh, some Israelis with knowledge of Iran, believed that some uh, labor leader, some union leader uh, in the oil industry could rise and um, uh, draw support from other sectors. And the other thing, of course, is that the military in its various forms, be it the Pasadaran, the Basij, any other security force, up to now, they have a vested interest in sticking with the regime. They are part of the elite. They enjoy benefits, which um, uh, most of the uh, 90 million or so uh, other Iranians uh, do not enjoy. Um, And they will fire at uh, the uh, protesters if uh, the protests uh, will threaten the the regime. 
so uh, up to now, uh, Khamenei uh, is too powerful and uh, uh, his uh, dissenters are too weak. Indeed. A uh, couple of questions, uh, Mr. Brodsky. When we're looking at uh, the current organizational structure of those protests, it seems like Wednesdays and th- uh, Saturdays we see more of a uh, emphasis on, on protests and riots and, and uh, whatnot. But it's not truly organized. There are only some characteristics to a certain organization. And as Mr. Owen also noted, there is no true one leader to rally around. Uh, now, another angle is the fact that uh, the Internet is largely open, uh, so to speak. It allows uh, more transparency and also holds back the besiege from perpetrating the atrocities of 2019 and uh, 09 and, and uh, prior to that as well, uh, because it doesn't want to anger, so, uh, so to seem, uh, the the followers of uh, the Ayatollah at this stage within Iran and then draw more violence than what it could mitigate at that stage. Do you see these two components as um, somewhat hindering a certain development uh, in which this could turn from a revolt or uh, something that is relatively meager to something that could truly challenge this regime? Well, I think that uh, we're in the beginning stages of uh, some kind of revolution. I think that uh, there are missing elements, as you previously noted. Uh, the uh, protests, as they stand in their current form, do not pose an imminent threat to the Iranian system, and I'm choosing my words carefully, uh, but uh, depends on how events play out on the ground. Uh, there are a number of elements. There have not been any high-level defections in the security services. Uh, there is evidence of a debate within the Iranian leadership as to uh, how to respond to uh, the protesters. Uh, there have been some high-level figures like the Chief Justice and uh, the uh, Speaker of Parliament who have been uh, eyeing these protests warily, at least publicly. Iran's Supreme Leader and President, however, have been more publicly defiant. Uh, but uh, there have not been any high-level fissures in that nature. There has been the beginnings, the beginnings, of the convergence of labor and political protests, which are important, uh, but uh, thus far uh, they have been sporadic and uh, have not been as widespread and deep uh, to the extent that it would pose an imminent threat to the stability of the regime. So we have to see how these play out. Uh, and uh, also we don't have, as you mentioned, an organization, a natural leader uh, of these protests, but that doesn't mean one won't emerge over over the weeks and months uh, ahead, and uh, we can't discount that. Uh, but you know, having a leadership in a protest movement is a double-edged sword because having a leadership inside the country uh, provides a target for the regime to either kill or capture, uh, and uh, so so that's a weakness. But uh, at the same time, obviously, it's a strength to have leadership, to have an organized uh, movement behind uh, one or multiple individuals in order to uh, provide an alternative for the Iranian people. So uh, all of those, this is the beginning stages of a movement. Uh, and uh, we have to see where it goes. Indeed. Dr. Merchavi, I'd, I'd like to hear also your perspective on this, as well as there have been intelligence reports on uh, the Lebanese Hezbollah, the, the Iraqi Qatab Hezbollah, and other organizations uh, uh, that are smaller and less uh, uh, known to, to the public. 
as well as certain tribes within the Houthi uh, composition uh, from Yemen being transferred into Iran for a potential change of policy vis-a-vis those uh, protests. Uh, Do you see this as an indication that the regime currently doesn't necessarily trust its own forces to get the job done? Uh, I think it's not a question of trust as much as it is of uh, lack of, well, popularity would be a great word, even legitimacy of the security forces. And this is a great change from previous um, rebellions and riots we've seen in the Islamic Republic, which in many respects were more impressive than what we see today. But here's the great difference. Now, this, uh, if if you recall from the chants in the streets, one of the uh, ones, the recurring ones is Bisharaf, you know, there's no honor. And I think more and more cops and, and people of the security forces, whether, uh, you know, in uniform or what they like even more, the, the, the one uh, plainclothes who uh, storm into demonstrations. These people uh, have lost uh, any, I think, any uh, uh, you know, trace of legitimacy in the eyes of ever widening public. And that is a serious problem. And I think this, uh, if it's true that they actually call, you know, for security forces from outside of Iran, it's another proof to the fact that the legitimacy of this very foundation, this very pillar of the regime is uh, is in a serious problem. So they want to avoid, and, and don't forget, the Islamic Republic has in its, uh, you know, uh, gray cells, in its, in its collective memory, uh, how it toppled the previous regime. They know that uh, defection is... Uh, is going to be one of the last stones that uh, will say that this is the end. So we're not there yet. We're, I, I don't see any signs of that, unfortunately. But I think they want to prevent that from happening. Indeed. Mr. Owen? May I add uh, to that? There is this uh, uh, simplistic distinction between um, uh, Western or Occidental uh, culture and the Oriental one of uh, shame versus guilt. Uh, so, uh, as if um, in the East, including in Persia, uh, shame uh, is an overriding value, as Menachem uh, just uh, mentioned. And um, if uh, the uh, security forces are uh, being uh, put to shame, they, they may change uh, their behavior. The problem is the uh, elites, the ruling elite, uh, does not feel any shame at all. And they don't feel any any guilt either. So um, uh, they uh, they would act according to their uh, vested um, interests. If I may add to that, what is happening um, on the um, strategic or foreign uh, front? By virtue of helping Russia in the Ukraine war, the regime may be uh, accumulating some chips in order to trade them with the United States in the negotiations over the JCPOA. The Iranians will stop helping the Russians if the Americans are more flexible on that other separate, unrelated business. So this may be speculation, but we will see soon enough. Talking about shame. Uh, Mr. Brodsky, I'd like to ask you uh, particularly also from... Uh, the the essence of this indications of a start of a revolution. There are very um, 
directed towards uh, attacks against fundamental Islamic values and constraints, if you will. Does this somewhat challenge regional countries uh, from the Arab Muslim world, including Saudi Arabia, including the UAE and others, uh, who are standing aside and saying, okay, wait, but hijab is something that we support. Uh, niqab is something that we support. Is there a certain challenge for those governments and regimes in the region to actually rally behind the Iranian people uh, within the context of the current uh, state of play? Well, I think that the Iranian people are rallying against uh, the Islamic Republic as a system. They, th these protests are not just about the hijab. They're about the fact that they're tele the Iranian people are telegraphing to the world that the Islamic Republic is, is unreformable and there needs to be regime change. Uh, now, uh, you know, if the Islamic Republic were to be overthrown, uh, I think that uh, the Gulf neighbors uh, like Saudi Arabia and others would uh, uh, like to see uh, an, an Islamic Republic that uh, behaves according to the norms of the international uh, community. Uh, so uh, that would be welcome. But uh, I, I think that uh, the, the, the primary objective here is uh, of, of regime change. Uh, I just want to mention uh, react to one uh, point that um, Amir was saying. I think that's an interesting theory about the Islamic Republic uh, accumulating um, uh, leverage, if you will, by uh, arming Russia. Uh, but, uh, you know, the JCPOA is become overtaken by events, really. Uh, if you look at uh, the international community and uh, France, United States and the United Kingdom are hanging their hat on a provision of UN Security Council Resolution 2231, uh, which uh, relates to the missile technology control regime. Uh, and that provision expires next year. So the JCPOA is becoming more obsolete by the day and more problematic. And I think that it's becoming overtaken by all of these events, the protests and Iran's arming of Russia for Ukraine. Dr. Melchavi? Again, I, I do not see such a deal um, in, in, in the making because I think uh, if there's uh, one thing these riots do is uh, to weaken Iran's hand. Again, uh, it's, it's speculation, but uh, I find it hard to believe that Ukraine can save Iran in that sense of involvement there. If anything, it actually... Uh, weakens the Iranian position even more because it makes it even less legitimate. Again, legitimacy is a key word here in the eyes of Western countries. I mean, it's not a country you want to shake hands with while it's uh, repressing such wide populations. And again, this is a great difference from previous revolts. It started with something that you can call gender and ethnic because this uh, girl, Masamini, she was, she was Kurdish. Uh, but then you see how widespread and how you know, how divisive Iranian society um, uh, versus the regime is, uh, how, how widespread the, the riots are. And uh, I think it only weakens Iran's position in any uh, negotiations with the West. Let me, let me present um, uh, an alternative theory. Yes, because the regime is uh, becoming desperate, and because uh, the protection of the regime and the succession is uppermost in uh, the minds of Khamenei and uh, his associates, they would like a guarantee. The, the nuclear uh, enterprise is uh, first and foremost um, uh, designed to uh, help the regime survive. Uh, it is um, uh, mostly for the regime rather than for, 
for foreign policy. So if they can get a deal which would bar uh, foreign forces, United States, Israel, and others, from working for regime change, then they will go for it. With that being said, and this is something very interesting that Dr. Mechavi just mentioned, uh, the attack of the regime on the current demands of the Iranian public uh, is an attack on the norms and values championed by the West. So is this something that the West will now rally around? We saw the European Union, we saw the, the other countries, including in Canada and elsewhere, talking about those values being attacked by a brutal regime that has not been less brutal just prior to those protests. Mr. Brodsky? Well, I think that uh, reviving the JCPOA at this moment would be an internal interference into the Iranian system, if you think about it that way. Uh, it would be empowering the regime at the same time that the Iranian people are telegraphing it has no legitimacy. And uh, no one is chanting on uh, the streets of Iran for the JCPOA. They're chanting for the overthrow of the Islamic Republic. And that's the fundamental issue here. And I think that uh, the Iranian system, Ayatollah Khamenei, is actually going to be averse to rushing back to the nuclear deal right now because he is experiencing protests uh, around Iran. And he will want to telegraph strength. Uh, in, with the international community on uh, not weakness. And if you look at Iran's history and during previous protests, uh, he has not been rushing to the negotiating table. So I, I think that uh, they will behave cautiously in that respect. Dr. Mechavi, to what degree uh, is there viability for change of policy from Western countries, including the United States in particular, uh, toward the Islamic Republic of Iran in light of, of recent events? Well, I'm, I'm quite pessimistic about the prospects of uh, Western support of uh, Iranian uh, protests. First of all, to be honest, the West has very few, um, you know, measures now to punish Iran with. Um, you know, uh, doesn't matter what the causes exactly are, but the fact that there is no JCPOA at the moment uh, and, and the fact that Iran has made, uh, you know, has other channels to uh, commerce, that is Russia and China, uh, that leaves the West very few, um, you know, bullets in its uh, gun to, uh, to work with. Um, unless we go to more, you know, speculative uh, means that uh, the U.S. has done decades ago, and I don't think anyone seriously considers doing now, such as arming, you know, Iranians uh, against their government. Um, so I'm saying I'm, I'm very pessimistic. Besides moral support, which uh, Iranians already have by Western countries, I see very little prospects for any serious involvement. Uh, what uh, Menachem is referring to, of course, is the Mossadegh affair um, almost uh, 60 years ago, almost 70 years ago. Um, but ironically enough, even though uh, the British, uh, in the case of Iran, and the, uh, plus the Americans, and the Americans in Guatemala at the time, uh, have brought about uh, regime change. They have not helped uh, insurrections or, uh, or rebellions um, uh, in uh, East Germany or in uh, Hungary. And uh, when the rebels expected such overt intervention, they were uh, bitterly disappointed. And here, too, uh, the United States is much weaker today 
both vis-a-vis uh, -vis their capabilities and their intentions. Um, the um, U.S. military is a paper eagle. Uh, it has a lot of problems. And if you look at the national security strategy, uh, national security uh, uh, strategy that uh, President Biden has just issued, the uh, number one priority is China. Second priority is Europe, Russia, Ukraine. Third priority is the Western Hemisphere. And only then do we get to the Middle East. Obviously, you don't task your forces um, according to that uh, document and have enough for uh, helping Iran. And by the way, the drawdown from American stocks in order to help Iran is already $17 billion worth. Uh, the American military is in a, um, a serious uh, problem. So the rebels should not expect any such intervention. And therefore, you don't hear threats because they will not deter anyone. Mr. Brodsky? Uh, I think given the current composition of uh, the U.S. administration, uh, I think it's inconceivable that the U.S. would adopt a regime change strategy uh, in Iran. It's just not the way this administration is programmed. And if you look at it, uh, even the Trump administration didn't have a a regime change strategy uh, in Iran. If you ask John Bolton when he was national security advisor, uh, he would uh, say that uh, the U.S. does not have a regime change strategy. So I, 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 don't, I really just find it difficult to imagine that we would get to that point. But there is a tool that we haven't discussed that has not been employed against the Islamic Republic and that is diplomatic isolation. I'm talking about shutting down embassies in Europe, uh, kicking Iran off the UN Commission for the Status of Women, uh, a lot of other kinds of measures that have not been employed to date that do matter, uh, especially closing of the embassies in Europe and downgrading ties in that respect. The EU has done it before in 1997 after the German court verdict of the Mykonos uh, uh, terror attack uh, back in the 1990s. Uh, so uh, that uh, is something that it can consider uh, moving forward. Dr. Merhavi? So I, again, I, I think the, um, uh, you know, the, the regime in Iran has uh, Two, you know, two main options: what to do with this situation. And and as far as the JCPOA talks are, uh, you know, are not really progressing. I think it's it also has an interest in stalling now. So in that sense, its uh, its uh, interests are allied pretty much without aligned with that of Western countries, each for their own reasons. But let um, me ask you this, uh, particularly what uh, Mr. Brodsky just mentioned, uh, would. Those measures by uh, EU member states, by Canada, by uh, the United States and elsewhere, uh, truly deter Iran if there's going to be an orchestra of partners and allies throughout the world who would physically isolate Iran from the international community, leaving it with uh, just a few countries in the world who would do business with it. This would change fundamentally Iran's capacity to be heard, and this is something that it seeks to do. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be a great, you know, step to take for Western countries. It's the minimum I would even uh, expect them to do. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I, I don't see it, uh, you know, it's not happening yet. But uh, I, I, but again, I don't expect too much from that. It's not going to make the regime in Iran fall. And so again, we need to be very, 
you know, demanding with our, you know, what we expect Western countries to do, but to be very realistic about the prospects of that changing. Uh, the only way for the regime in Iran to change is from within. Uh, as much as the West can press and push and, uh, and uh, you know, put them in a, uh, with their uh, back to the wall, uh, it cannot, uh, you know, defeat the regime in Iran uh, without any serious military option. You know, it's somewhat bewildering because the other side of the punishment coin is the incentive of sanctions removal. It would make sense, at least to a Western mind, that the uh, regime would like to have the JCPOA revived in order to have more money, a lot of money coming in, perhaps uh, helping uh, in a way to uh, soften the protests by reviving the economy why wouldn't they? Good question. Mr. Brodsky, we don't have very much time left, so uh, if you could keep it short. I think Iran's supreme leader will view that as uh, being a concession and a compromise, and he thinks or fears that that would open up uh, expectations for further compromise. So that's why I don't think that Iran is really, that their head is right now in uh, just rushing back to the JCPOA. Dr. Menchavi? Yeah, I would also think in a different, just to emphasize something else here, it would uh, emphasize the point, uh, emptying the point that the Supreme Leader tried to make that the support, the riots are actually an American uh, and Zionist conspiracy. So how, how come you sign an agreement with that same U.S. that's, uh, uh, you know, embroiling uh, Iran with riots? Indeed. Well, I, I would also answer my own question by reminding ourselves that the Shah, uh, started to lose his grip on power when he uh, started a gradual reform, which mm -hmm. he thought would appease uh, the uh, protesters. But then it turned out that he lost all power. Indeed. Well, uh, we have less than a minute left. So I I'd like very briefly, Mr. Brodsky, Dr. Melchavi, one after the other, where are we heading from here? Uh, I think we're going to have a continued stalemate uh, on the nuclear file. I think we are going to have international attention focusing on the human rights situation in Iran and uh, the Iranian protesters and their cruelty and crimes against their own population. And at the same time, the center of gravity is going to turn to Iran's arming of Russia in Ukraine. Uh, it is supplying lethal drones and missiles in, in an EU candidate country. That That is a game changer, really and that needs to uh, be uh, focused on. Dr. Mechavi? So I think the regime in Iran has two options. Both are bad. Um, it's hard to even say which is the worst. One is to keep on repressing these uh, demonstrations. It's going to keep on and on and on to go on for weeks and months. Uh, I don't expect anything dramatic, but it, uh, it will definitely destabilize the regime more. The other option is to try to get to some kind of a new deal in Iran about, uh, uh, you know, withdrawing from the hijab, uh, even if not officially in kind of a turning a blind eye as a policy towards that. By the way, it's not so far-fetched as it might sound. Uh, and try to keep it there, to keep it with the hijab issue and just to try to uh, avoid it, uh, you know, a spillover into other uh, kind of Islamic uh, elements in, in, in the regime. I'm not sure either is going to work, but I'm Indeed. just saying that's an well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank Mr. Brodsky and Dr. Melchavi for partaking in today's program, as well as Mr. Owen, of course, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time.
Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.